You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I embrace things like this as pretty unique personal opportunities that uh, that are just that. They're they're personal. You know, this is not about me going back to Oregon. It's about the Nebraska team playing the Ducks. You know, we're playing in their house. You know, a team that we got last year, so I'm sure they're going to be ready to go. They're going to you know want to want to beat us and. Um, you know, playing in their place, it's going to be loud, so uh, it's, you know, it's going to be a challenge. I just have to find our identity, you know, just we a new team, you know, all around and just want to just find where we're comfortable, that's all. Uh, you know, we're going to learn a lot because, you know, uh, Oregon is obviously a great team and, you know, we have a lot of young players on offense and it's going to uh, be all of our f- uh, first times playing uh, at an away game. So, you know, it's going to be loud and stuff and we're just going to have to overcome the uh, crowd atmosphere that Oregon has, you know, that's really going to show us, you know, who we are if we're able to come into Oregon and beat them at their home field. Then, uh, then uh, that's really going to make a statement for us. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we get you geared up for Saturday's game at Oregon. It's Nebraska uh, versus the Ducks in Autzen Stadium. Um, the kickoff is 3.30 local time on Fox um, as Nebraska. It's really going to be an early measuring stick moment. A lot like a year ago, though, when you look at this game a year ago, I think all of us on this same show said if Nebraska could beat Oregon and Lincoln, it could pave the way to a 7-0 start. And what did it do? It paved the way to a 7-0 start, and it kind of turned Oregon season. Well, you look at it this year for Nebraska. Um, it's not going to pave the way for a possible 7-0 start, but I think a 5-0 start is very realistic if they can find a way to win, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, Oregon right now a 14-point favorite, Robin Washett, as we get ready to go out to Eugene. Yeah, fourteen point favorite after I think the line opened at four uh, with Oregon being the favorite there. So clearly, uh, there are a lot of people that think this game just got a whole lot less competitive after week one. And um, I guess I maybe can understand it. You know, Nebraska didn't exactly have its best defensive performance by any stretch, and Oregon uh, put up seventy-seven points and over seven hundred yards of total offense. So you know, they're looking at that with Nebraska going on the road uh, in Dowson Stadium, which you know Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf said was one of the top five environments they've ever coached in. Um, I guess there's reason, you know, to understand why um, people are thinking this is going to be a little more lopsided than initially thought. But here's the deal. Like, Nebraska, we're still so much unknown uh, about this team, especially defensively. You know, uh, yes, it was not good, but I I, I am under the belief that they held some stuff back, especially with their coverages, their pressures, and just, you know, some of the different looks that they showed. And I think they did that on purpose. In fact, Oregon head coach Willie Taggart said that himself. He said that that film against Arkansas State was a fraction of what Bob Diaco's defense is. And he should know. I mean, he faced off against Bob Diaco three times when he was the head coach at South Florida and Diaco was at UConn. So he knows what a real Bob Diaco defense looks like. And what they saw against Arkansas State was a shell uh, of that. Well, yeah, there's so many different layers to this matchup that are pretty intriguing. You've, you've got the Diaco Taggart kind of matchup. You, you have Riley and some of the former Oregon State coaches heading back to Oregon. Obviously, I think they would really like to get a win in Autzen Stadium. Uh, you know, you've got Tanner Lee at quarterback. You've got the new defense. Um, but maybe most importantly, I, I think this could be 
This is a big game for the fan base. I think after that first game, a lot of Nebraska fans are going, oh boy, or what, what are we in for here? What What's really going on with this defense, with this team? What, what can we really expect this season? Uh, and so I, I think that fans are going to be definitely hanging on this game. And, and if they go out and play well, then it's going to be, you know, things will be all good in, in Husker Nation. And uh, if, if things don't go well, uh, I think it could get, uh, get kind of ugly. Um, but it, it's 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 a huge test, and there's definitely a lot on the line for this game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Saturday's game in Eugene, Oregon, where around 15,000 Nebraska fans may make their way out there. The stadium only holds 54,000, Robin. Uh, but you look at just the history of Nebraska going out west, and I wrote about it this week in my uh, 321 column. 1993 UCLA, 2006 USC, 2012 UCLA, 2014 uh, Fresno State. You can go on and on. Anytime Nebraska has played on the West Coast, they have traveled 15 to 20,000 fans on each one of those trips. I honestly don't expect it to be any different. I think you're going to see possibly 15,000 fans in that stadium on Saturday. I agree. Basically, any Nebraska fan that lives west of Lincoln is going to this game. Uh, I know so many people that are kind of making this like a family vacation. You know, they're bringing the wives out there and going in packs of like 15 people. So there's going to be a huge Nebraska contingency at this game. Uh, and, you know, look at the last couple Pac-12 games they've played out there. I mean, it was the same deal. Holiday uh, Bowls, at, too. Yeah, at UCLA in 2012 and then at Washington in 2010. Uh, they, they turned what should have been daunting environments into almost a 50-50 crowd, at least from the sound standpoint. And for a stadium that, you know, like we said, um, has a reputation of being one of the most hostile environments in college football, that could be a huge swing in Nebraska's favor to, to just kind of take some of that uh, crowd noise and intimidation uh, out of the picture. And it's definitely kind of a destination game. It's w what the feeling is. You know, this is uh, uh, an Oregon program that's had a lot of success in, in recent history, and um, and the environment is something that gets talked about an awful lot. So I, I think that a lot of Nebraska fans have been eyeing this trip for for years, ever since it kind of got put on the schedule. So uh, and there's so many alumni and, and Husker groups out in the West Coast, it's it's ridiculous how many Nebraska fans are out there. So I fully expect it to be, you know, right around 15,000. And, uh, and that will certainly impact the environment. I have no question about that. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready uh, for this Oregon matchup. And guys, um, you know, the offense, so we didn't talk about this, but no turnovers. Trey Bryant goes for 200 week one. Tanner Lee kind of looks as good as advertised. Yeah, there were a few offensive line issues, but you knew that uh, Arkansas State was going to bring a lot of heat. I, other than the fact they couldn't really run that four-minute offense to finish off the opponent at the end of the game, um, I thought there were a lot of positives to take out of that offensive performance, but I think it just got overshadowed by the way the game ended. Yeah, and that was the real black eye for the offense was, you know, they had two drives inside the final nine minutes uh, and couldn't do anything. They managed one first down uh, on, I think, nine total plays uh, in their final two possessions of the game. And, you know, for uh, an offensive line, really, that, uh, you know, kind of told, you know, Nick Gates said it himself before, 
uh, you know, the season that, you know, in situations like that, they want the offense to basically hitch onto their backs and they're going to pave the way. Well, they had that opportunity and they didn't capitalize. So that was definitely, um, you know, kind of one of the downsides, but you mentioned the turnover, Sean, Nebraska now going back to last season has yet to commit a turnover in its past five games. And so ball security has actually been pretty good. Um, despite some of the, uh, lopsided that tells you how bad that Iowa game was yeah, with, I know. No, they with no lost turnovers 40 to 10 with no turnovers. Woof. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> give me a woof, yeah. Nate. Woof. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the efficiency of the offense, especially out of the quarterback position, is what Nebraska is going to have to uh, really get going forward. And, and that was a good sign to see Tanner Lee uh, be, you know, take care of, of the football there. Well, we've got a full show here on tap as we get you ready uh, for this game in Eugene, Oregon. Both Robin and I will be making our way out there with. Uh, so many others um, that, that are going to be out there this weekend uh, for this matchup. Uh, but we're going to talk some offensive storylines, defensive storylines. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. And we'll get the latest in recruiting as uh, Nebraska's prize recruit, Buki Radley Hiles, announced this week he will be taking visits. Now, this is something that Nate Klaus has speculated already before was going to happen, uh, but it now is official as far as uh, when and where he'll be visiting here uh, over the course of this season. That's all next on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, we're familiar with the surroundings, with the hotel that we'll stay at. You know, we've stayed there every time. You know, it won't be, uh, it won't be like sometimes you're going to a new place, you have no idea where you are. There'll be a lot of familiar sights and faces, and so it's kind of fun. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where it's a tough place to play, and they're a good team, and it's going to, it'll be a good challenge for us. It'll be another exciting you know, road team, and we've got plenty of those in our own conference. So, you know, going out there will be will be fun. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf discussing the week that looms ahead for Nebraska as they get ready to travel out to Oregon. And you heard him. I mean, this is not a new trip for this staff. I mean, I think there's uh, of the of the ten full time guys, five of the ten um, have experience. You know, at Oregon State playing Oregon in that stadium and Tavita Thompson you could argue um, the 11th guy does as well so really six of their top 11 coaches have had extensive history against the Ducks in that stadium they're gonna have a lot of family and friends out there um, you know I, I and then we already discussed this Robin there's gonna be a lot of Husker fans there as well yeah and throwing James Rogers on that too I mean so the the connections to the state of Oregon go uh, above and beyond with this staff and so you know Mike Riley I said it best at the beginning you know you, you gotta welcome a storyline like this you know I mean you, obviously coaches never want to make games about themselves and you know he stressed that this is about the 2017 Nebraska team uh, but he admitted, you know, there, it's kind of cool to to think about going back to Oregon and a place where they have a lot of history, a lot of experience. You know, like Danny Langsdorf said, um, this isn't going to be your usual road game where you're kind of scrambling and nowhere to go. <laughs> they've they've uh, experienced Eugene probably more than they would have liked. And so, I mean, I think that that can be somewhat of an advantage. I mean, this is, nothing's going to catch this staff off guard as far as, you know, the environment they're getting themselves into, um, just all the different um, factors that go into playing in a new stadium. 
I mean, I'm sure they're going to know how to play the wind because um, uh, Eugene is an east-west aligned stadium as opposed to, you know, Nebraska's north-south. So um, the wind is going to be a little bit different, and I'm sure they'll be well prepared for that. And, um, you know, with the crowd noise, uh, they, they know what they're getting themselves into, and they've been blasting, you know, uh, simulated crowd noise basically since fall camp. This is something that they've been prepared for, uh, I guess, since, you know, the start of off-season practice. So, um, you know, this this is a, a bit of an advantage having this much familiarity with your upcoming opponent. Yeah, for a place that I think is is got to be one of the harder places to, to play is in Autzen Stadium, um, you know, as there is in the country. I think that this is probably the most comfortable that you could hope for for an out-of-conference game for Nebraska with all the different connections that they have. And um, and like you said, the how to play in that stadium, you know, what to expect as far as crowd noise and, and everything like that. Um, and, and I think that – you know, one of the unique aspects is that a guy like Trent Bray has actually done it as a player and as a coach. You know, Tavita Thompson has done it as a player and as a coach. And uh, to give that type of perspective to your team, uh, you know, I, I think is a huge advantage. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett as we talk offensive storylines now going into this game at Oregon. You know, Tanner Lee, guys, we talked about it going into last week's game. He really hadn't been hit uh, in played in a football game in 651 days and um, all things considered I really thought Tanner Lee was as good as advertised he made the big throws when they were there um, sure he missed on a couple uh, but every quarterback's going to miss on a couple throws from time to time he took some shots he stood tall in the pocket and, and, and that's what I think when you were at that game Saturday last week Robin just to see a quarterback slide up the pocket mm-hmm. and, and throw it like it's supposed to look that was kind of a new thing in Memorial Stadium. That touchdown to Stanley Morgan, uh, where he did exactly that. You know, he had about a five-step drop and then stepped up as the outside pressure came closing in on him into the pocket and delivered a dime for a 44-yard touchdown. I mean, that's that's an NFL draft highlight. You get you hear Mike Mayock or you know Mel Kiper, you know, breaking down Tanner Lee's <laughs> skill set with that playing in the background. I mean, it was that type of play, and that is the picture of what the reason why Tanner Lee had so much hype coming into this season. Now, uh, he got away with a couple early on. You know, there were some balls that probably should have been intercepted in the first quarter on the first couple drives, but uh, he was able to settle in and deliver some extremely nice passes and basically keep the offense on track outside of maybe the last couple possessions in the fourth quarter. Yeah, for me, I think that's probably kind of the benchmark of what to expect out of Tanner Lee this season. I mean, for your first start inside Memorial Stadium to, to go out and do that, uh, be an efficient quarterback, you know, not, not turn it over. Although, like you said, he, he did have a couple that, that could have been picked. And uh, and there probably will be some some picks this season where maybe his confidence gets the best of him uh, because he can fit it into such tight windows. But uh, for me, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, 200, what was it, 239 yards, uh, you know, on, on 59% passing or whatever it was. I, I think that that's probably what a Husker fan can expect out of Tanner Lee, um, you know, each and every game throughout the season. You know, and Stanley Morgan had a, over 100 yards receiving, a, a touchdown. And I'll tell you what, if he stays healthy and plays all 13 games, assuming they make a bowl game, which we, I think, all assume they will. I just find it hard to believe he's not going to get to 1,000 or at least break that Johnny Rogers record. I mean, especially when he got off to the start that he did, and we know that he's pretty much that number one option. Yeah, and you, for anybody on that team that loves having Tanner Lee around, he's got to be right up there at the top. Uh, you know, going from you know having to make some 
pretty difficult catches to getting the ball thrown to you in stride 44 yards downfield. Um, he's got to be a pretty happy camper right now. And I think that, like you said, Sean, his stats are going to be directly uh, re- reflected here with the chemistry he's been able to build with Tanner Lee. And we saw a glimpse of that. And, you know, most of those yards came in the first half. Uh, he probably should have had more had they continued to go for him. So uh, I think that as the season, you know, goes along and that offense starts to, you know, click a little bit more, Stanley Lee, uh, Morgan is going to be a direct recipient to that. Yeah, I know. Each year I feel like I'm saying, well, Jordan Westford camp could be the first, you know, thousand yard receiver this year. Kenny but, Bell. Yeah, Kenny Bell. And, uh, but I truly do think that Stanley Morgan probably has the best shot out of any of those guys now that he's got a quarterback like Tanner Lee's delivering him the ball uh, and a quarterback who has unbelievable confidence that Stanley Morgan is going to come down with the football each and every time. Uh, those two guys have great chemistry uh, and, and, and really, I think that that kind of chemistry could benefit some of the other wideouts too because Stanley's going to continue to get more and more attention from defenses as the season goes along. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washad, and Nate Klaus as we talk offensive storylines. And this segment here on the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill with five locations now in Omaha, two in Lincoln if you're looking for a place to watch the game on Saturday Get into Tanner's um, in one of their seven locations as they will have the game on everywhere. Um, should be a great atmosphere as well to, to watch the game uh, as the Huskers are on the road this weekend. But let, let's move on now running back as we wrap up this offensive discussion. Did any of you guys at all see this coming as far as Trey Bryant getting 31 carries? I mean, that was like a Rex Burkhead, Amir Abdullah workload, and they didn't tip their hand at all that anything like that was coming. Absolutely yeah. not. You know, I I think we all agreed he was going to be the starter, but uh, for that type of imbalance in the workload, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And um, you know, you know what's interesting is this is a guy that had to be you know basically treated pretty delicately in fall camp because of that knee he was dealing with. I mean, he was having swelling issues to where um, he wasn't even practicing, you know, even the week leading up into the game. So uh, for that type of workload all of a sudden to be dumped on his plate, uh, I don't think anyone saw that, but uh, you could see why, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff decided to go with him because uh, he only got better and better as the game went on. I mean, uh, he, you know, was able to kind of feel out the defense and was making some pretty impressive runs, especially with his ability to cut back and find lanes as opposed to just kind of going to the hole where the play is designed uh, his uh, improvisation I thought was as impressive as anything yeah he he really he set up some blocks well showed good patience but also um, I mean he, some of his cuts were were really impressive and um, and I, I had no I mean, I did not expect this whatsoever. Uh, you know, I, I fully expected the, them to do the the running back by committee and kind of rotate guys in and out. But but I was happy to see Trey Bryant get a shot and to to really give him an opportunity to get into rhythm because I, I do agree that he got better and better as the game wore along. All right, we're going to shift the discussion over to defense next as it wasn't necessarily a night Bob Diaco wants to remember. Can they move forward now as a defense this week at Oregon? That's next. You're listening here to the Husky Online show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We don't really talk about statistics. We really don't care. We try to build the plan to keep the points down so at the end of the game, we have one more point than our opponent. That's the defensive objective, to defend the opponent's scoreboard, the scoreboard, and how we need to win the game. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show. That was defensive coordinator Bob Diaco 
basically justifying the game plan Nebraska ran last week against Arkansas State that was highly criticized by a lot of Husker fans who were kind of expecting to see more um, of Diaco's 3-4 defense week one. Well, now the Huskers will be tested on the road against a very talented Oregon squad in their own stadium. And I think that's the debate. Did Nebraska hold back for Oregon? You know, I heard an interesting debate with uh, Damon Benning and, and uh, Blake Lawrence. We were off air on Big Red Wrap-Up Tuesday night, and uh, Damon and Blake were theorizing that Diaco completely played the run-pass option way different than he's normally going to play it, um, just so he could not show Oregon how he's going to defend the RPO uh, here on Saturday. And I think there's some truth to that I think he really put out some smoke screens, smoke signals, kept it very basic and vanilla. And and this week we're really going to find out more about his scheme, Robin. Well, and they're going to be facing a much different attack. I mean, Arkansas State obviously threw the ball 68 times, whereas Oregon is actually, despite what may, many people think, they're a run-based offense. Uh, I mean, they ran for 350 yards last week. Um, you know, Royce Freeman, maybe one of the best running backs in college football. And so basically, as Bob Diaco described it. It's essentially a triple option scheme run out of a spread offense. And the luxury they have is they have Olympic sprinters essentially as wide receivers that they can stretch the field off play action. So it's a very unique system that, yeah, there are going to be some similarities to what they saw against Arkansas State, but there's going to be a lot of differences too, particularly for that front seven in defending the run and Royce Freeman. Well, I definitely think there's something to the fact of, of Diaco holding stuff back because, I mean, look, they were in the base defense for, what, 81 out of 89 snaps last Saturday, something like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and I don't think that is is typical uh, of any college football defense, I mean, especially when you're facing what they face in Arkansas State, a team that threw it 68 times. So for them to not you know, play the majority of the game in, in a nickel, defense or or whatever uh you know i, I think that they just wanted to limit what oregon was going to see um and i mean we'll, we'll find out soon enough i guess exactly how much they're, they're holding back but there's got to be more to this diaco defense than what we it's saw it's funny though you think about it between the spring game and now the opening game of the year i mean diaco was almost gone out of his way not to put his scheme on film. Almost. I mean, he has. Yeah. I mean, the spring game, he didn't even show a glimpse of they it. They ran the 4-3. Ran a yeah. different defense. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, so, I mean, that's why I think uh, you're going to start to see this the look of what this defense is going to be more and more each and every week. Beginning uh, against Oregon, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a completely different thing, especially with how they played uh, their cornerbacks. I think they're going to be you know, more inclined to be more aggressive. Um, you know, but I still think that preventing the big play will continue continue to be a staple uh, so they're going to keep everything in front of them and if that means giving up you know five to seven yard chunks then so be it you better make the open field tackle yeah and and, and I think that uh, as far as pressures go too I mean we didn't see any really any blitzes well against an Arkansas State offense it was like one and a half seconds in the pocket yeah, too true. so I mean it's impossible to get pressure on that so they probably just kind of cut their losses on that one yeah uh, but I mean you'd have to think that we're going to see some sort of pressure packages um, out of this defense heading into to Eugene this weekend. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we talk Husker defense. And, yeah, the defensive line, you know, I don't think they played bad. Um, but when you only rush three and Arkansas State blocks with five or six, you're not going to get much of a pass rush. And I think that was probably one of the complaints we saw last week, the lack of pass rush. But with just those pure numbers – uh, two on one blocking you, uh, them blocking you. 
um, it's difficult. And Nebraska was dropping seven or eight in coverage almost every single play. Yeah, and so that's why I don't take too much away from that. I guarantee you there's a whole book of blitzes and disguises and stuff like that that you know Bob Diaco has in the system that they didn't even bother opening uh, last Saturday. So I, I'm not worried about that. And again, the opponent had a lot to do with that. Arkansas State was essentially snapping it and whipping it out into the perimeter uh, on you know, 80% of their plays. So, I mean, it's impossible to get pressure on the quarterback against that. Well, and, and that front, uh, that defensive front too, I mean – they they weren't stunting or or you know twisting you know no, no twisty things. No twisty things. That's out, your deal, Nate. Out of out of the the front and until the end of the game, um, you know you saw them dial up a few stunts and and twists there. Uh, and when they did do that, you know they they did get some pressure on that on Justice Hanson. So um, yeah, really really vanilla in really every aspect of that defensive game. Well, I thought let's talk some guys that stood out though. I mean, I, I thought Mick Stoltenberg played well. Carlos Davis. Uh, but Luke Gifford had a huge first game out there. How about Tyron Ferguson with the pick? Joshua Kalu with the pick. Muhammad Barry um, had some moments where he flashed. I mean, there were some positives that you can take out of it, despite some of the statistics that show up on paper. Yeah, Luke Gifford in particular. I mean, this is a guy that played more snaps on Saturday than he had in his first two seasons as a Husker. Uh, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. For one, he was listed as number two on the depth chart, and he ends up starting the game anyway. Uh, and so that was a surprise. And then to get that type of workload um, was extremely impressive. And he had nine tackles, and that's he only had eight in his career leading up to that. So, I mean, this was a career game in every sense of the word for Luke Gifford. Mike he wrote Riley, the uh, Luke Gifford record book. Yeah, exactly. And so Mike Riley called him out by name, saying this was a guy that really impressed him after going back and watching the film, considering only Joshua Kalu played more snaps than Luke Gifford did last Saturday. Well, and he did everything. I mean, he he rushed the passer as a down lineman. He dropped back in coverage. Um, you know, he, he did a little bit of everything and, and uh, was making plays out there. Uh, physical tackler. I, I think that uh, he's only going to continue to get better too and, and Trent Bray has said that, that he's a pretty unique player in terms of his his mental capacity combined with his physical you know his physical attributes his overall athleticism that he really hasn't ever coached a guy that that has that type of combination before he's coached really smart guys and he's coached really athletic guys before but uh, Gifford kind of gives him a, the a combination of the two and he's a unique uh, blend of positions he's played safety quarterback in high school mm-hmm. I think did, Nate did he play some receiver even at times in high school his, his uh, yeah, junior year he, he did play some tight end he played at some wide receiver too yeah so you, you think about the Swiss Army knife guy um, as the guy that can do it all I mean Luke Gifford has uh, just a Rolodex of position experience and I think that's helped him become a more mature uh, mentally stronger football player. And, you know, changing gears a little bit here, I mean, it's it's hard to really glorify their performance too much given the fact that they allowed 415 yards passing. But the play of those young corners, I mean, you want to talk about getting thrown into the fire right away. Eric Lee, Lamar Jackson, DiCaprio Boodle, um, for a group of corners that had hardly played any substantial college football in their careers, um, they got thrown into it. And I thought for the most part, they did pretty well. Um, and I think a lot of the yardage that they gave up had to do with the scheme they were running. You know, the, the staff made it a point not to put those guys in any bad situations to where they could get beat deep. And, you know, yes, they gave up a lot of completions. They gave up a lot of yards, but they kept everything in front of them. They made the sure tackles in the open field that turned, you know, what could have been big plays into, you know, five or six yard gains and gave the rest of the defense a chance to, to get it done on the next 
next down. And, and when Arkansas State did go deep on those guys, they came up with the plays, or they were in position to to not allow the completion there. And a lot of times with younger cornerbacks, guys that haven't played all that much, you seem kind of panic in those situations, and they either grab and you get an offensive or defensive p- uh, pass interference, or they go ahead and, and give up the big play, and they, they just didn't do that. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift gears. We're going to take your questions in the mailbag as Husker Online intern David Eichel will join us. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's a great when you can get put in stress and situations and, and come out on top. We got put in, I mean, probably every situation in football the other night. Kickoff after safety, uh, safety of our own, uh, having to rebound after a safe uh, touchdown on special teams, being put out there after a recovered onside kick, having to win the game on defense. So there was just so many situations that you may never get in the season we got in one night that we can really learn from. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was linebackers coach Trent Bray as Nebraska uh, was really in a lot of different situations as you heard him talk about uh, in their win against Arkansas State. And, you know, it wasn't pretty, uh, but they got through it. And now we go on to Oregon, and it's time for the mailbag as uh, Husker Online intern David Eichel joins us. David, what do you got for us this week? What's the confidence level of special teams right now? Can we be a top 20 special teams? Ooh, um, I think so. I mean, I, I thought Caleb Lightborn punted it like a top 20 punter. Um, you really can't knock him too much on the return for a touchdown. I mean, yeah, might have outkicked the coverage a little bit, but there was some poor lane assignments on the return coverage there. J.D. Spielman, we know what he can do. And DeMornay Pearson, now we know what he can do. So I absolutely think Nebraska has the potential to be a top 20 special teams unit. The potential, yes, but you got to wonder how many more opportunities those guys are even going to get to get returns. I think uh, with the way... Uh, kicking games are now. I mean, you can design your kicks to get it away from a returner pretty easily. And so it'll be interesting to see just how much of an impact um, or how many opportunities they get going forward. And yeah, the, the coverage units have to be better for Nebraska to be a top 20 team. I mean, uh, you know, obviously they had that bust on um, what was essentially a muff punt, taking back 63 yards for a touchdown on the punt. And the kickoff returns, you know, weren't that much better either. So the coverage units need to get shored up. Um, but certainly Lightborn and those returners uh, make for a pretty dynamic group. Yeah, I think they've got the personnel to be a top 20 group. And I think they believe they have the personnel to be a top 20 group. And, and we saw a little bit of a, a glimpse of that. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how opponents kind of approach Nebraska's return game here throughout the rest of the season, given what they've already kind of put on tape. What player do you see that needs to take the biggest step up from game one to game two? Uh, I think Tanner Farmer, you know, on the on the line, you know, he had a couple moments where I know he'd like those back. He's a guy that, you know, they really need um, on this line going forward. I thought Nick Gates, Gerald Foster, as you heard Mike Cavanaugh say earlier in the week, uh, probably played the best game of, of any of the guys uh, for the Huskers up front. Um, defensively, that's a tough one. Um but I would say those corners, Eric Lee, DiCaprio, Boodle, particularly those two, uh, they're going to be tested a lot this week in Eugene. Yeah, offensive line, I think, as a whole needs to improve, especially in their pass protection. Um, and then on defense, you know, just looking at the way that they were covering, and you, you got to take it with a grain of salt because I'm curious what the game plan was as far as 
keeping, you know, some stuff safe for Oregon. But Marcus Newby found himself on an island a lot. And there was a couple plays where he's just chopping his feet and the receiver runs right by him for an easy completion. So, I mean, if they're going to have him have that much coverage responsibility, he needs to step up his play. Otherwise, uh, Nebraska is going to have some issues out there. Yeah, I'd probably go with Tanner Farmer on the line. Um, you know, he was arguably one of the more consistent offensive lineman towards the end of last season but uh for whatever reason had a had a couple you know struggled a little bit in the last game but uh um and then defensively I'd go with probably Marcus Newby as well I mean there's a he had some missed tackles in open space and and you're right I mean it looked like he was kind of caught in no man's land uh wondering what what to do a couple times uh you know last Saturday so uh, I think they're going to need him going forward and uh, and to Sean's point on the corners I and mean, those guys are going to have to get off blocks and, and kind of show uh, that they're a little bit more physical than than what they showed last Saturday as well you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robert Washington Nate Klaus we're taking your questions here in the mailbag with David Eichel what possession group had the best game against Arkansas State and who had the worst um best game I would say the receivers would be up there um obviously quarterback had a good game for the most part no no mistakes running back only one guy got 31 of 33 carries uh but I really thought the receivers in general showed kind of their long-term upside and what they're going to be. And tight ends, you could argue that too. Um, as far as the worst, we kind of already hit on it. Um, I thought the corners were the guys that really got exposed, or uh, at least we thought Arkansas State was going to do that, and they did that on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I'll conversely go with running backs. Um, you know, they only played two guys, but one of them ran for almost 200 yards and a touchdown, and the other guy only had a handful of carries and scored a touchdown. So pretty good ratio right there. Um, so that was definitely a positive. And on the other side of the ball, um, as far, or at least as far as the worst goes, you know, I, I'd probably say that the interior offensive line, um, you know, they, they struggled, especially closing out the games, um, in the fourth quarter, they gave up that terrible safety, uh, and just had some, some breakdowns, um, that you wouldn't expect. And granted, Arkansas state has a really good pass rush, um, lots of speed that they had to, you know, account for, but, uh, that needs to improve in a big way going forward. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd go with the running backs as well. I mean, what Trey Bryant did, I think, maybe hasn't gotten enough run uh, for for a running back to get 31 carries and, and approach 200 yards. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen uh, that type of production at that at that position. So, uh, you know, and then as far as the group that has to improve, I I think that the cornerbacks are going to continue to to need to get better there, especially uh, in the absence of Chris Jones. Kind of sticking with that theme, does Diaco trust his cornerbacks right now? I think that's a fair question and because these are guys that are really have never really played a lot of football. So I think it's hard to trust them until they can prove it. And Saturday they, you know, missed some tackles and as Nate said, had trouble getting off blocks. And I think as Diaco said earlier as well, I mean, you don't really know about guys until you get game experience. I think the trust was shown in uh, the coverages they played. Uh, I mean, their whole intent was to not put those guys in positions where they're matched up one-on-one for 50-50 jump yeah. balls. And, uh, I mean, that, that, that kind of the game plan says everything you need to know about the trust factor there. I think they like those corners. I think they think feel good about the potential there. But right now, the inexperience, I think, is a worry. And they're game planning uh, to not put those guys in bad situations because of it. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, that they don't trust those guys or don't believe in them. But at the same time, they don't want to expose them either and, and you know do anything to kind of damage their confidence because 
they are really, really green yet at that position. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's going to, you know, continue to be something that builds throughout the season. But uh, they don't want to they don't want to put those guys in, in a terrible, terrible position right now. Is Nebraska's recent emphasis on sets with two tight ends due to a limited depth at wide receiver a need to protect the quarterback or both? I think it's both. Uh, but honestly, I think it's the direction Mike Riley wants to go. I think he wanted to be more under center, heavier sets with two tight ends. And, and we saw that a lot um, because, you know, you hear that Wisconsin comparison a lot, but Nebraska's offense is a lot like Wisconsin's. Yeah, I do think the the, the opponent they were playing played a factor there with uh, Arkansas State's outside pass rushers, uh, particularly Javon Roland Jones, you know, 30 and a half sacks coming in. They knew they had to, you know, double team him and provide some outside help for those tackles because the last thing they want to do is put Nick Gates and Devin Neville in basically one on one situations against one of the best outside rushers in the country. I, th- I just think it's a personnel deal. They, they've got some depth there. They've got some guys that can do some different things as far as Hoppus being a pass catcher and, and Ketter being a pretty good blocker. And um, and it was just uh, it was more of a matchup deal than anything, in my opinion. All right, you got time for one more quick one here. What do you have? If you were a head coach, what offense would you run and what defense would you run? I would really run. I mean, I, I like what Nebraska and Wisconsin I, I like that style, especially where we live in this part of the country, kind of an under center physical offense. Defensively, I, I consider myself more of a 4-3 guy just because I grew up around it. I mean, we ran it in high school. Nebraska ran it when I was a kid from age like 13 to now I'm 37. So I, I guess I, till, till this year, I've had 24 years of watching 4-3, so I've always kind of looked at the 4-3 as, as my defensive choice. Going back to my video game days, I would run a straight air raid offense with no running, shotgun five wide every single play, uh, and I would go for it on every fourth down. There would be no punts. And then on defense, I would run a 4-3 where I blitz the house basically on every single play. So uh, it would be fun to watch. I'd probably lose a lot of games, but you know what? We'd, we'd get after it. Yeah, I'm, I'm all gas, no breaks. All gas, no breaks. I was like all, ser- I was like all serious in my response, and Robin's like, "Yeah." Well, I'm just saying that's my only uh, really thing to compare it to is the, the Madden and NCAA football. See, I was I was I've always been more of a, a pro style uh, ground game guy, uh, so that's probably what I would run on offense, and then defensively, you know, four three an aggressive four three. Um, you know, I, I think that's. That's basically all I know, I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, we come back on the show. We're going to close things up with some recruiting talk. Buki Radley Hiles is taking visits. We'll find out the latest from Nate Klaus. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of this Oregon edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, now Nate Klaus. We talk recruiting as Nebraska now goes out on the road to the West Coast to take on the Oregon Ducks. And, you know, this game will have some significance for Nebraska Nate as just their brand and their presence on the West Coast. I felt like it did a year ago uh, when when you kind of look at kind of what that game did for Nebraska, at least at the time when they beat Oregon. Anytime you can beat a team like Oregon, um, it's a good thing for your program, give you momentum, but especially when you're a team like Nebraska that recruits heavily on the West Coast and you're going up head-to-head with a lot of players against Oregon, I I think that uh, it gives a little added meaning to to the game. And there's going to be a lot of recruits that have a vested interest in in the outcome of this game that that maybe – 
you know, are really wanting to see, uh, you know, the the latest glimpse of, of the two of their top programs. And, and what a better way to watch it than to see them face off against one another. Well, let's stick on the subject of top, Nate. Nebraska's top commit, Buki Radley-Hiles, has been uh, rumored now or to be taking visits, and he comes out officially this week and says uh, he is going to take official visits. I know you're not surprised by this, but naturally a Husker fan's going to hit the panic button a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a, a commit that's taking visits, it's less than ideal. But this has kind of become more of the norm in, in college football these days with the way recruiting is. And um, and it, does, it shouldn't come as a huge surprise. I mean, this is something that's that uh, you know is we've kind of known about now for a while, but he's really, this is the first time he's gone on record saying, exactly what schools he's going to be visiting and um and and those are i mean some some pretty some pretty good schools i mean buki's a great player uh he's going to be heading to to clemson um you know i think that uh, they're a team that have really come on hard since offering him and and florida is, is for sure going to get a visit and then uh then there's a handful of other schools uh, that uh that he's likely to take a trip to i, I think that we'll see him head out to ucla um, you know, and probably visit, go visit L.A. again and, and hang out with Darnay Holmes there. Um, and then there's probably about, you know, four or five other schools that, that I think are really heavily in the mix to, to get an official visit. And um, yeah, I still remain confident, though. I, I think that there's just still too many factors, uh, you know, pulling him Nebraska's way. I mean, too many connections to the program uh, to, to see him kind of cut all those ties. And, and if that were to happen, I, I would be extremely shocked. Nate, IMG Bo plays a lot of Fridays. How is he able to get to all these places and take all these trips during the actual football season, knowing that he's an early enrollee that's going to sign somewhere in December? Well, that'll be, I mean, that's definitely a, a good question. I don't know exactly how he'll be able to, to kind of you know, arrange all these trips in a timely manner before the early signing period. Um, you know, this weekend they had their game canceled because of the hurricane. So uh, that's going to allow him to, to go to Clemson this weekend. And, um, you know, and, and then he's got, I think they've got two bye weeks kind of built into their season because their season is a little bit different, especially because they are not um, eligible for the Florida playoffs. So, so once really once the playoffs hit in the state of Florida, high school football, they're done like, by Halloween. Yeah, they're they're basically done by Halloween. So he'll be able to to fit in some some visits uh, after their season's over with. You're listening here to the Hoscar Line Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting storylines for Nebraska, and they had two visitors on campus, uh, both four stars officials, Isaiah Crocker and Ashari Crosswell, a safety and a receiver. Uh, Nate, give us the breakdown of the visitors. Well, let's start with Crocker. I mean, he's a, a top 100 prospect in the in the country, uh, one of the top overall wide receivers in the nation, and um, and really the visit could not have gone any better for him than than it did. Uh, he he said he, that he thought about committing. He actually called his parents to kind of talk it over with them uh, because unfortunately they were not able to to make the trip with him. He, he traveled with his grandmother. Uh, his father's dealing with some health complications right now that that. Uh, kind of kept him from making the trip, but there is a good chance that they both make a return visit, uh, both Isaiah and his father, and maybe even one of his high school coaches uh, later on in the season, potentially for the Wisconsin game. Um, and, and so I think that's definitely you know, 
bodes well for Nebraska for sure. But uh, right now, his parents just kind of wanted him to, to pump the brakes a little bit, slow things down, and, and maybe take a couple visits. And two visits for sure uh, that, that appear to be on the docket for him are to Oregon and Oregon State. So, you know, we just got done talking about how there's a lot of recruits that Nebraska's going head-to-head with Oregon with, and uh, Isaiah Crocker is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, and then with Crosswell, again, the visit really couldn't have gone a whole lot better. He said that he could really uh, see himself playing at Nebraska, and that's r- what this trip was all about, in my opinion, um, for a kid from inner city L.A. to come to the Midwest to see if he could f- feel comfortable here, envision himself actually going to school at Nebraska, playing at Nebraska, um, being away from home, and, and he said he felt comfortable with that. He's got a great relationship with Dante Williams and, and has some connections with some guys on the team already. Uh, and he's a former teammate with of Joseph Lewis and Greg Johnson, two of Nebraska's top targets last year uh, from uh, Augustus Hawkins High School in L.A. He's now at Long Beach Poly uh, with Jalen Hall, who was also at Hawkins High School last year, too. So um, he's certainly familiar with Nebraska because of, of Joseph Lewis and Greg Johnson. Both those guys have been on campus uh, before. So, uh, you know, I think that – it's probably going to be a West Coast team, a Pac-12 team, and probably a USC or UCLA that presents the biggest challenge for Nebraska going forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus. Now, Nate, you did get out to a game last week. Uh, you got to see Mastery Maypu for the first time in a game since a year ago. Now, we did see him at the Rivals camp and the Nebraska camp as well this summer. Uh, just your thoughts, though, on Mastery and his development uh, year over year. Uh, I'm really impressed with the development that Maypew has shown. Um, and, and I'll start with the, just the physical development. He's in way better condition this year than he was a year ago. You know, I, I, we went out to watch his first game of the season uh, last year, and and he was much bigger. Uh, he was overweight, and and he, you know, really after that first half, he was pretty much done. He was gassed. Uh, because he's a two-way player for York uh, and you know, really uh, plays all the snaps on defense and, and sometimes they rotate him on offense. But uh, this year, he's much more explosive. He's in much better shape. Um, he appears to be a very vocal leader out on the football field. Uh, so I really liked what I saw out of him. Um, you know, and, and he's not going to be a guy that puts up a ton of stats because with the way that they utilize him, he does kind of eat up some blockers. And a lot of times he's, he's being triple teamed out there uh, so it allows other players to make a lot of plays but when they do let him shoot some gaps and, and get upfield uh, he's certainly a handful to tackle uh, or to, to block um, another guy that I've got to mention is Garrett Snodgrass he's a 2019 athlete about 6'3 200 pounds 205 pounds already um, this is someone to keep an eye on because I was extremely impressed with his performance he starting quarterback goes down he stepped in uh, through for over 200 yards ran for like 150 yards uh, accounted for four or five touchdowns on the night uh, and then defensively, he could play uh, outside linebacker. Uh, he could potentially even grow into a defensive end. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, he's a very versatile athlete. Uh, Nebraska is kind of looking at him as more of an H-back guy, someone who could, uh, you know, be a, a, a pass catcher, an inline blocker, or maybe even kind of a, a fullback to carry the football every now and then. So um, kind of an intriguing underclassman to keep an eye on. Well, that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the Husker Line Show. Nate will be out watching Cameron Juergens uh, this weekend on the road while Robin and I will be on the road with the Huskers in Oregon. So stay tuned as 
Huskers back home again uh, after this weekend, so there'll probably be some more visitors and guys that we'll keep tabs on. But um, that wraps it up here for this week's edition for the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 